So I discovered the stock in 2006 and invested in it when it was about 20,001 per share. So 20,001 is about 20 US dollars approximately. At the time, I thought this business model was great. It was trading at mid-teens PE, so approximately 15 times PE ratio, with about 30% EPS growth and 30% return on equity. So those are some very compelling, strong growth numbers and return numbers at relatively reasonable PE ratio. Now, fast forward a couple of years, the growth rates stalled. The, the students were no longer as excited about this particular platform because a competitor emerged on the horizon, and the stock fell 50% to 30,001. And of course, I kept continued to hold it because I had fallen in love with the stock. So that's, that's the backdrop to the story and the conclusion is that I lost, um, I still made money, versus my original investment, but it was the position was down about 50% from the peak. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Eric Cho. Eric, are you ready to rock? I am. Let's go. All right. Let's do it. So Eric started his investment industry career as a sell-side equity analyst in Korea, where he worked with Samsung Securities, ABN AMRO, and Deutsche Bank. After earning his MBA at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, he worked at Fidelity Investments, where he ran the Fidelity Thailand Fund, which is how I got to know him. Currently, Eric manages multi-asset portfolios for high net worth individuals, at a private bank based in Singapore. Eric, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life. Other than that, I guess I would just say that I've had the great opportunity to live in a variety of countries in Asia. So I started my career in Korea, as you mentioned, and then I lived in Hong Kong and now in Singapore. And through my career, I've been able to travel to many, many places. So I'm really grateful and fortunate that my investment career has taken me to a lot of really fascinating places. I've met a lot of interesting people and learned a ton. Yeah. It's funny how I remember taking a young intern to a meeting with a CEO of a company and as an analyst, when I was sell side analyst and I just looked at the intern and I said, we just had two hour meeting with the CEO of this company. I can guarantee that none of his staff got two hours of his time this week. And it's kind of amazing, you know, when you're representing the capital that's coming into the company, you know, the providers of capital ultimately, that you know, the owners of the company and the people who are running the company tend to listen up. So yeah, what an opportunity it really is. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into it thinking that it will be, tell us about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure, so this is a company, this is a stock that I invested in in my personal account. I was a personal investor in this company. So the company is called Mega Study. It's an online slash offline education company based in Korea. And the way you can think of it is it's a business model similar to Princeton Review, if you're from the West, where basically they provide test prep services to mostly secondary school students. So the business model is they run several offline test prep centers where they have famous lecturers that come in and give lectures to the kids. And then they record these and put them online. Students who are not, who are living perhaps in the countryside or cannot afford the lectures, 
they can view these lectures online. Now, the interesting thing is the business model is set up in such a way that the lecturers who are very good and have are very engaging with the students and can make the content entertaining, they get a lot of followers and a lot of students who follow them online, and they're paid very, very well. So I thought of it originally as kind of like an eBay of online learning in a way. So I discovered the stock in 2006 and invested in it when it was about 20,001 per share. So 20,001 is about 20 US dollars approximately. At the time, I thought this business model was great. It was trading at mid-teens PE, so approximately 15 times PE ratio with about 30% EPS growth and 30% return on equity. So those are some very compelling, strong growth numbers and return numbers at relatively reasonable PE ratio. So I bought the stock in my Samsung Securities account, and one year later, fast forward one year later, and the stock had doubled, 40,001. I was very, very pleased. I'm a hero. Yes, yeah. I'm a hero. <laughs> and of course, I had all these good feelings about how great of an investor I am, and I held on to that stock, and it went up to, at the peak in 2008, it reached 65,001 per share. So from about 20,001 to 65,001. So I felt really great. Now, one of the features of, of the story was that at this time, the company was growing very well, very strongly, and they had quarter after quarter of EPS beats. So they were doing better than the market expected, consistently doing. It reached a point where it was starting, it was trading at 40 times PE and still growing about 30% per year. Now, fast forward a couple of years, the growth rates stalled. The, the students were no longer as excited about this particular platform because a competitor emerged on the horizon and the stock fell 50% to 30,001. And of course, I kept continued to hold it because I had fallen in love with the stock. So that's, that's the backdrop to the story and the conclusion is that I lost, um, I still made money, versus my original investment, but it was, the position was down about 50% from the peak. It's uh, there's some great lessons in this. I mean, one of the ones I was just working on something this morning, I came up with 10 things to look for, you know, in a stock when you're investing. And I'm sure it's a type of list that you've made and have followed, but the top thing on there is of course, long-term growth. It's one thing to have great growth in one or two years, but does this business model have long-term growth potential? But the problem is, is that that's hard to predict. And when new competitors come on the scene, it's easy for us to say, oh, they got a competitive advantage, they have a moat, this company has you know, got first mover advantage and all of that. But when new competitors come on the scene, either structured differently at a lower price, you know, government supported or whatever. How do we understand that? And how do we make a decision, you know, from that to say, okay, I got to get out because I don't think that the growth story is there anymore. Mm -hmm. well, in this case, the story is that the Korean government has a broadcasting channel, an education broadcasting channel called EBS, and they have an online subsidiary called EBSI. And the idea was the Korean government wanted to democratize the test prep industry and provide, provide help for, for lower income students. So they actually poured a ton of money into this EBS online initiative 
effectively funding a competitor to Megacity. Megacity services is not really that expensive, but I suppose the government decided that they wanted to make it very affordable and very widespread for everyone to be able to access similar content online. Now, in this case, I think what I didn't appreciate was the fact that even though, so at the time, my original idea was, oh, it's the government. They're not really, because they're the government, they're not going to be good at executing the online strategy and so on. And it turned out that they are actually were not that bad. And one of the, perhaps one of the lessons is, there's more digging that I could have done. For example, when I originally made that investment, I actually reached out to a few high school students and a few teachers to do my own due diligence to learn about a business model and to understand how students are interacting with the system and so on. What I could have done would have been to follow up with those same people and to see whether or not their behaviors have changed several years down the road. Got it. So what lessons did you learn from this experience? The number one lesson I learned was is, is one that I've added to my so-called 10-point checklist, which is one of the things that I'm trying to do now is if a stock is trading at a price-to-earnings growth ratio of above one, I don't invest in it. Just to clarify, that would be the PE ratio divided by the EPS growth. So this stock, when I first bought it, was trading at 15 times PE on 30% EPS growth. So that's a PEG ratio of 0.5. But by the time it reached the peak in 2008, it was trading at 40 times PE and 30% EPS growth. So that's a PEG ratio of 1.3. So now for when I'm looking at high growth stock, the PEG ratio is one thing that I look at. It's one of the metrics. And I, if I'm invested in a stock that reaches beyond 1.0, then I'll sell it. And if it's trading at about 1.0, then I won't buy it. Got it. That's a core lesson. And that's the, the relationship between growth and price you pay for growth. So let me summarize a couple of things that I take away from it. It's actually really a tough situation. You know, on the one hand, you look at governments and you think they're incompetent when it comes to implementing market type solutions. So generally, you could say, ah, I'm not too worried about that. But in this case, also what you mentioned now, it may not have been as clear back then, was the idea of democratizing this service, which yeah. basically means pushing the price down. Right. And so, you know, that's the first thing. And also, that's the first thing is kind of like how to think about when government is competing against the company. Generally, I would say don't compete against the government, with some exceptions when they're really failing on the strategy. And the other thing is that, well, you've already talked about the peg ratio. And the fact is, is that the entry of the government into the industry didn't destroy the company. It just, it just destroyed the multiple. It yeah. just destroyed, destroyed the price that people were willing to pay because their assessment of future growth, you know, fell. Correct. So that's also important that, you know, companies can survive and adjust and do very well, but their valuation may come down. And that's the expectation part. But I just wanted to highlight another way of looking at this, which makes this really even more difficult, is that, as you know, in Asia, over the years that you've been investing, there's been a revolution in telecom services, and prices of services have gone down and down, data prices, cellular, everything related to cellular, you know, all of this stuff. I mean, what I pay on a monthly basis for the level of cellular, Wi-Fi, all these different services that I get is tiny compared to what I used to pay compared to what I used to get. But in that case, the share prices still went up. 
So if mm. you told me, you know, before, wow, share price, the price of the services is going to fall by 50, 60, 70%. Think, oh my God, that could be terrible. However, the question is, is volume able to make up that difference? Yes. And correct. so how do you look at that? You know, because in this case, if the government brought in millions of new people, then some of those people are going to come to mega study. Yes. They'll benefit from that, even though the prices may be lower. But how do you think about that trade-off between, you know, do low prices really drive higher and higher volume? And maybe it's worth it in that case. That's a great question. And there is an additional part to this story, which I haven't shared yet, which is one of the reasons why the stock was doing so well between 2006 to 2008 was there was a shift from offline education to online education as more and more students were taking on online education, the penetration rate of online education was rising. Now, around 2008-9 is when we reached a saturation point. So anyone who wanted to be, wanted to avail themselves of online education already was using it. Now, the other part of it is there was a demographic tailwind because in the early 90s, there was a actually a bit of a baby boom. The economy was strong in Korea, so a lot of families had the confidence to have to start families and, and a lot of children were born. And so as the stock was going up and the earnings were going up during the mid-2000s, they were actually benefiting from the small baby boom. Now that baby boom expired around the end of the decade, 2010-ish. And so that small demographic tailwind, which was helping them, re resulted in a demographic headwind, actually. So all of these things combined ended up hurting them and basically if you think about it in terms of volume times price, we had the competitor, EBS, uh, driving down the price effectively, and the volume was somewhat saturated. The volume, the, the overall pool of students was shrinking, and the number of students that were migrating from offline to online, that had already happened. And so we had a combination of both declining price as well as declining volume. You think about another industry, uh, semiconductors, semiconductors, uh, microchips. That's an industry where the price of the product falls almost every day. Semiconductors, are, because of the technological innovation, are constantly with a product that the price falls. But semiconductor companies are growing and they a lot of money is because the volume, the explosion of volume, more than makes up for the decline in price over time. Well, there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom in this discussion, but let's just take it down to one actionable piece of advice based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? For me, the key lesson I learned was if you have, well, first of all, we must have an investment checklist. So every investor has different and different factors in which they look for when they make investments and watch their investments. And I think every investor has a different checklist for what they're comfortable with. And that checklist can evolve over time. For me, the key takeaway I think from this story is for my own personal checklist, I now have PEG ratio of one as, as a key metric that I watch for. And even no matter how great that story sounds, if stock is trading above PEG ratio of 1.0, buy it, I won't invest in it. Got it. I think that's a great tool for the audience. I mean, ultimately what that is, is a risk management tool to yes. say, I'm just not willing to pay the price for that growth. Well, last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? 
my number one goal has nothing to do with investing. So for me, one of the most important things for me to do is to unplug my head from the market occasionally, take a break and to relax and to have fun. And for me, I took up surfing recently at the age of 41, I started surfing. And this year, my goal is to improve my surfing such that I can move to a smaller, shorter, more maneuverable surfboard. So that's my number one goal for the year. That's going to be a fun goal to execute on. (laughs) Well, there you have it, listeners. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Eric, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Other than that, just continue to invest. The more mistakes you make, the more money you lose, the better you'll get at investing. Basically, along, for me, it was a long-term journey where I made mistakes, learned from them, refined my investment toolkit and my process, and have fun with it. Great advice. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.